This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're listening to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Some material may be disturbing and we use adult language. Listener discretion is advised. If you love the show, be sure to hit subscribe so that you never miss new episodes. And if you want to support the show, please visit www.patreon.com slash killerqueenspod, where as little as $3 a month gets you early access to shows and amazing additional content. Now on to today's case. Welcome back, y'all. Hey. Part two of Diane Downs. Are you ready to get back into this bitch? Crazy bitch. Okay. So just in case you do not remember... Um, last week we talked about basically the events of May the 19th. So Diane is claiming that this random shaggy haired guy tried to steal her car, shot her three kids and shot her. her. Mm -hmm. And we kind of went back through some of her history and her relationship with this Nick Knickerbocker who she's pretty obsessed with yes like 100% obsessed with yeah so now we're going to come back to right before the shooting so we got up to May 11th and so now we're going to move forward from there so on Wednesday May the 11th Diane began writing almost exclusively about how much she loved her kids in her diary for the first time ever so literally her kids have like never been mentioned in her diary before And now on May the 11th, it's all she's writing about. So she's writing like, Nick, I've got better things to do. I have three wonderful kids that I love more than anything. I think I even love them more than you. Oh, wow. Yeah. She thinks. She thinks. And Anne Rule in her book, Small Sacrifices, which I read for this, um, she brag about it. I'm saying like, you should read it. It's a good book. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Calm down. Don't be a bitch. So... (laughs) She says that it was almost as if she just discovered she had kids because it it was literally like this complete change where never once did she talk about them to now it's all she talked about. And it was like, I mean, obviously it's like she's setting up an alibi. Now, now a week before the shooting, all she can talk about is how much she loves these kids. So she'd never hurt them. You know, she'd die for these kids or whatever. Um, And she was adamant to the detectives the night of the shooting that they find that diary and bring it back to her. She wanted them to find it. She wanted to be sure they didn't pass it over. So, I mean, obviously she forgot all the other shit she wrote in it. Right. Because in her mind was it like they were only going to look at the last week. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but she definitely wanted him to see it. So now she's writing about like all the adventures that she and the kids are taking. They're taking trips to the park. They're taking trips to the beach. They're doing all these things together. She's documenting like all of these activities she's doing with her kids. And it made me so sad because these kids are probably like, wow, mom's really like paying attention to us now. She's really spending time with us. She must really love seeing us like it's a huge difference from leaving them home alone so she can go have all these affairs. Mm-hmm. Like now she's actually spending time with them. It had to have been like a, 
you know, because they're so young, they're not going to be like, what's up with this? It's suspicious. Like, they're probably just happy. Yeah. It makes me so sad for them. And then she went to pick up the unicorn that she ended up having engraved on May the 12th. She dropped it off at the place where they were going to engrave it. And she was like, it's absolutely imperative I have it back on May the 13th. She had to have it back on the 13th. She wanted the date May the 13th on it. It was Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. So, and then May the 13th in her diary was meticulously detailed. Every single detail of that day was written down. She went through... I mean, every little, like, from the time she woke up till the time they went to bed, every single thing that she did that day, what time she did the dishes, what time she, you know, got up. She probably even wrote down, like, if she went to pee. I mean, it was, like, everything. So she documented that night kind of a similar evening to the night of the shooting with it being her driving the kids around really late. She said they were coming back from the beach that day, and even though the kids said they were, like, tired, they were hungry, they wanted to go to bed, it was late, she just kept driving, and she was just taking detours, she's doing all the sightseeing, she's driving really late, she ended up bringing them to the river, which she said was really spooky at night, and it ended up being so dark when they got to the river that she couldn't even see anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so she ended up leaving and going home. And so the detectives are like, why, why May the 13th on this unicorn? Like, why was that so imperative? And why did she document May the 13th so much more than she documented other days? And they figured out that the kids were supposed to die that day. They think that she was actually going to shoot them that day because she kept them out. So it was very similar to that 19th, but for whatever reason, it didn't happen. Maybe she didn't have enough light to do what she needed to do, or I don't know. But um, it did not happen on the 13th, so unfortunately she would have to suffer motherhood until May the 19th. Right. Bitch. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So police decide to do a reenactment of the 19th, the night that the kids were shot, and the night that Diane was shot as well. So when they had a car there that would be the car that she would tell you know because she was like explaining exactly what she did and she had one of the reporters I think or the detectives because they filmed all this yeah the detective pretended to be the the gunman yeah and she's like um you know fighting with him or whatever she takes the keys pretends to throw them then she kicks him out of the way gets in the car and she's giddy about this entire thing. Like, she's giggling mm -hmm. a lot. She's making jokes about things. Yeah, and she's like, I'm throwing the keys. Here I am. Ha <laughs> ha, throwing the keys. Yeah. Like, this is pretend like I'm doing that. It's funny. And then when she, like, kicks the detective away to get in the car, she hits her cast because she's got a cast on her left arm. She hits her cast on the steering wheel. And the like, detective Welch was like, she slipped up because or she almost slipped up. She caught herself, but she said, this, this is worse than, and then she stops. And detective Welsh was like, I think if she had finished that sentence, it would have been like, this hurts worse than when I shot myself. Yeah. When I, when I really did get shot. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So police are still investigating and Diane was more than happy to do every interview that anybody wanted. It was very reminiscent of Susan Smith, mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she said that she wanted to make the story right. Mm -hmm. So she started saying that if she had killed her kids, wouldn't she have done a better job of it and how not brought that, them to the hospital? Yeah, how does that come out of your mouth? If I had shot my own kids, wouldn't I have done a good job of it? Like, 
I just can't even fathom ever saying something like that. Yeah, exactly. Because if if you had never, and I I can understand that probably the reporters or whoever was interviewing her, they maybe asked those hard questions where they were like, look, did you do this? So you have to defend yourself. But how do you even say like, look, if I wanted him dead, I would have done it right. Exactly. That's exactly like OJ Simpson writing his book. If I had done it or whatever, if I did it, like it, yeah. Or like, um, Ted Bundy being like, well, if I was the killer. Oh yeah. The killer is like this and this is why he does the things that he does. Yeah. Yeah. How do you know? Cause you fucking did it. Yeah. So she was like, wouldn't, why would I bring the witnesses to the hospital? And she hoped that it would garner sympathy. Like she hoped that getting her story out there and telling her story, even though, and not that, you know, you don't have, I don't know how you're supposed to um, react or act during these kinds of things, but she never cried or anything, but she hoped that the public would see her and be like that poor woman. This is terrible for her. Yeah. So Danny and Christy, and th- it actually obviously had the opposite effect. Like everybody was like, you bitch. Yeah. Cause she was so like transparent. It was obvious, you know, like she didn't, she wasn't as good of an actress as she thought she was. No, she wasn't. So Danny and Christy, they're still alive. And Danny is paralyzed because he was hit directly in the spine. And it was very strange though. Like Diane vehemently denied that Danny was paralyzed like she was saying, your mind controls your body. And if we can will him and love him enough, he will walk again. Like she's just batshit crazy. Yeah, like, I why? think she just decides that this is this is the way something is going to happen or it did happen in her mind. And then her mind just blocks out everything else. Yeah, like, like that's the end of it. Just that's whatever. That's going to go. Yes. Yeah. Christy had suffered a stroke and Dr. Wilhite said that in his experience, when someone suffers a stroke like that, it's really, really hard to recover. So it took her a long time. It was a very, very long time before she even could speak again. Mm-hmm. The nurses said that even though she couldn't talk, they noticed that when Diane would go into the hospital room to visit the children, Christy's vitals would spike and like go off the charts when she would sense that her mother was in the room. It's so awful. The kids never went back into Diane's custody and they were placed in foster care after they were released from the hospital. Then Diane did an interview with Eyewitness News. And Is she's the one with the was it Ann Jager or whatever? Yes. Okay. Yes. I did not know how to spell her name. Um Yes, she, Diane was told that she could bring a lawyer with her if she wanted to, but she went by herself. And because she's smarter than everybody, she exactly. doesn't need a lawyer. And the woman interviewing her, Jager, mm-hmm. she was like, she said in the 2020, she was like, when she came and she didn't have her lawyer, she was like, gotcha. Yeah. And she was like, boom, <laughs> done. I'm going to rip you a mic drop. Yeah. Well, and like her face the whole time she's talking to her is just like, are you fucking kidding me? I right cannot now? believe you're saying this. <laughs> yes. Shit. Yeah. So it <clears throat> excuse me, in this interview, this was one of the interviews where she Diane helped herself helped dig herself her own grave. Mm-hmm. She told her story of what happened, of course, and she like it was said that she used the words I and me so many times. Like that was when Nancy Grace was like you wouldn't have even known that she had children in Mm-mm. this interview. You you wouldn't have known she had children in any aspect of her life, really. No. She didn't have any pictures of them in her house. She didn't talk about them in her diary until she needed to set up her alibi. Right. Like, they and were never... 
they were never a part of her life. And some somebody that she dated, I don't remember which guy it was now because there were so many, right. said that, I think it was Mac actually, he said, those kids were just seemed like a pain in the ass to her. That's the way she talked about them and that's the way she treated them. They that's were, really sad because yeah. even, I mean, being three, you can understand a lot of things, but I think that even when you're very, like much younger than that and don't maybe don't even have good speech and um, vocabulary, you can sense that your mother doesn't really want you. And that breaks my heart because they had to have known, especially the older kids, but like Danny too, he had to have known, I mean, looking back on it or they idealized their childhood and maybe had to work through that in therapy or something. I don't know, but it's just crazy to me. Like, cause you can tell. Yeah, for sure. And the fact that she disliked Cheryl so much you know, Cheryl was the hardest baby that she had to deal with. And she was the only one that actually passed away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's something there. Like she definitely, these kids were a burden to her, mm-hmm. which to me doesn't, I don't understand. Like, I know there are some people that are like, eh, I don't want to get pregnant. And then I don't want to have kids, but she was desperate to get pregnant. It was her choice to get pregnant every time she did it on purpose. She could pretty much conceive anytime she wanted to because she knew her cycle so well. Right. She just like thought real hard about it and she was pregnant. Exactly. So it's like, what the fuck? So she talked about her childhood. She talked about her marriage, talked about her entrapment in society. I don't know. She was all over the place. Mm -hmm. She said in this interview, she was like, everybody says you were so lucky to survive this. You were so lucky. And she was like, well, you know what? I don't feel lucky. I couldn't tie my own shoes for two months. It was so painful, this bullet wound. Yeah. And she's like laughing as she's saying that. Yeah. Like you don't even know. And the scar is going to be there for the rest of my life. I'm going to remember that night, whether I want to or not for the rest of my life. I don't think that I was very lucky. I think my kids were lucky. I feel like Anne jager probably shit her pants yeah like yes what yes she said if i had been shot the way that they were we all would have died you're fucking kidding me people then of course were starting to think that she had done it because Mm -hmm. what does that tell you yeah (laughs) you don't you don't go on like a national interview like that And everybody here, you talk about your kids being shot that way, one of them being killed. And like, well, my kids are the ones that were lucky. Really? Cheryl's dead. Yeah, exactly. Like, is that, that's lucky to you? I don't know. I just don't understand. I don't understand it. So they, of course, people stopped having sympathy for her and I read, or in the, in the 2020, it said that even her her father because he was interviewed at that point and he was like I, I, maybe she did it you know like I don't know I mean I could see it yeah it he could did he he started having some doubts but I think she right she won him back over that in the end. yeah so then Diane gets pregnant again on purpose yeah because she's not in jail right now and that's that's one thing that I think you know you hear about a lot of cases of like wrongful conviction or like where people get arrested immediately and they have no no evidence or whatever. These these prosecutors did they wanted to have an airtight case. They mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that they had everything that they needed. So they waited and they waited a long time. It was like what, nine months before they actually arrested her. Mm-hmm. So they really, really did their due diligence. They spent a lot of time in Arizona. They spent a lot of time talking to a lot of people. 
and they wanted to really make sure they had everything. So she's out and she shows up to this kid. Yes. So yeah, she, cause she said she got pregnant because she missed her kids so much and she would never get to see Cheryl again on this earth. And she missed them so much. So she decided to have another one. And she was like, it's really, really easy to conceive. So I just decided and all you to have go to ahead do and do is that. Just replace kids. You lose one, you have another one. Yeah, exactly. Just make the numbers match. So, her being a mail carrier, she was on one of her routes, and she just picked someone that she thought had good bone structure, who was good looking, and had intel like, was very intelligent on her route to seduce. So she shows up at this guy's door one night with whiskey and some marijuana cigarettes my god did they inhale those i think so i think they smoked maybe one or two pots it was crazy i'm i cannot believe this i know so of course diane being the ridiculous conceiving (laughs) witch that she is knew her cycle so well so she was like tonight's the night i'm gonna get pregnant and by god (laughs) she did yeah so she was like thank you sir yes that was all I needed. <laughs> I don't need to know your name. I just want bang, bang, bang. <laughs> exactly. So what police are still gathering up evidence to arrest Diane and people are pissed about it. Like, yeah, the just the, you know, public outcry was like, arrest her. Yeah. What Somebody arrest this bitch. Yes. So they went back to the car and they were looking at all the blood spatter. Because they kept the car, of course, because it's the crime scene, you know. So Diane said that the suspect had leaned into the car and then she changed her story and said that he just, you know, stood in there and like put his put his arm in, whatever. But there was blood spatter outside of the passenger side door. Mm-hmm. And so they believed that Cheryl was able to get the door open and she had gotten out of the car onto the ground. And Diane reached across the seat from the driver's side and reached down and shot Cheryl a second time because she had the two wounds in both of her shoulders. Yeah. And if she wasn't touching her with the barrel, she was almost touching her because... Yeah, she was pretty damn close. Yeah, because it was so... They know that the gun was so close to her because of that blood spatter. It was high velocity. So they know that 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 bullet or the gun was so close to her that it, like, shot that blood back the way that it did. Mm -hmm. It's awful. And if Cheryl did that in between the two shots... Like that first shot was was enough to kill her, and they thought that there was no way she could have even tried to do anything after the first shot. She would have been completely incapacitated. But she, she it's amazing her way that out. she opened that door. It's so sad. It's so sad. Her mother I cannot. I know. I know. So that was when they they never found the gun that she used the Ruger. No, they couldn't find that 22, but they went to her house and they found some 22 caliber shells in the rifle that she had had in her home that had been ejected from the Ruger. Mm-hmm. So they took those to the crime lab and with, I think we've covered it before, but like with bullet casings, you can tell by little marks on the bullet casing, which firearm it came from and if they matched other yeah because they'll have like striations from the barrel of the gun and they're all unique to that gun yeah and and when they did find that one bullet in the the floor or like underneath the floor in the house in arizona from when she shot through right unfortunately that bullet because of the like sand and the dirt and all that stuff in arizona it had eroded that casing to where they could not match it up so that they were hoping that was going to be like their smoking gun basically since they couldn't find the gun right but since they found these shells and 
for whatever reason, she had used them in the 22, I guess. And then I don't know if she used them in the 22 or if she, or in the rifle or if she put them there after she. Well, yeah, but they had gone through the pistol. Right, 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 right. And then she put them in. Yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense it, to but, me either. Maybe she was just trying to. I don't know. It was her little keepsake box or something. I don't yeah, know. but she's such a genius that, you yeah. know. Anyway, smart little cookie. Yeah. But they were like, well, hot damn. We got her. We got her. So they also found, police also found a witness that was driving behind Diane the night of the shooting when she was, quote, unquote, racing, putting the pedal to the metal mm-hmm. to get her kids to the hospital. Yep. And he was like, well, hold up. Um, she was actually driving, like, she was driving so slow and he was behind her that his speedometer didn't even register a speed at all. No. It's like that time that I was going through the school zone and I accidentally stopped and I didn't even realize it. She was bitching so much about how slow, how she had to like slow way down. She was like, oh, great. I'm just so glad that I can't even go as fast as I want to during the school zone and all this stuff and just like kind of being bitchy and funny, I think about it. And then I was like, Charlie, you're not even fucking moving anymore. I didn't realize it, but I had... 100% just stopped, stopped completely. I thought I was still moving because it was so slow. <laughs> How was I supposed to tell? But it's like that. So the guy is like, yeah. I'm behind her. And I look down at my speedometer because I'm like, How fucking slow is this bitch going? And she's not, I'm like, it's like not even registering a speed anymore. Yes. We're going so slow. And police were like, She was waiting for the kids to die. Yeah. Cause the guy was like, He followed her for a little while because he said Old Mohawk Road was like so curvy that he wasn't comfortable passing her. Passing her. So he followed her for a little bit and she was going incredibly slow. And he said, He just thought, like, it's dark out there. And he noticed that she had Arizona license plates. So he was like, She's not from around here. She doesn't, she doesn't know, know where, she's, where going. she's going. And he thought she was trying to find a house or something. And she was just, going really slow to find where she was going mm-hmm. and um, he's a lot more patient and a lot more understanding than I would have been I get very angry so yeah I was going that slow I would have been get like, your head out of your ass. <laughs> yeah what, what are you doing <laughs> but and then her defense attorney really tried to sway him like are you sure that you followed her for a really long time like don't you think you maybe couldn't you be confusing that with another night and all this stuff and he's like no 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 like this guy really tried to confuse him and try to get him to maybe Trip say well, I'm not 100% sure or whatever. And he was like, no, I was behind that car. I know it was that car. It had Arizona license plates. I distinctly remember this. And he had, you know, his whatever it was that day that, you know, he could place that he knew that that was that day because the defense attorney was like, you know, trying to just trip him up any way he could. And he was like, Mm-mm, no, See, it and was that's that what, day and I was behind her. That's what happens when you tell the truth because you can exactly. know exactly, you can exactly. recall exactly what happened. Yep. So at this point, police need to find a motive. They need they need a motive for why she would have killed her kid or try, attempted to kill her kids and killed one of them. So they go back to the diaries, and this is where you know they find out all the stuff about Nick. And it's so weird to me. Like I know we already talked about it, but like just how she was writing to him, but in her diary. Yeah, it was like. Yeah, it was like letters that she was writing to him, but she never intended to mail. Yeah, there was one where she was like, Nick, no one will ever take your place in my heart. My kids aren't any trouble. And like, why do you have to say that if if those two things don't go together? Like she kept saying like, yeah, well, actually, she tried to make her relationship with Nick out to be like not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Like I liked him or whatever. But the way that she talked about him in some of the police interviews was that that he was a lot of trouble for her. Like she was like, Oh, he was just like, 
he was just a real handful, you know, like it was, it was always a bunch of trouble with him basically. Like he just, he was just too much for me to deal with. I was glad to get away from him basically. Hmm. But like, if you have to keep saying my kids aren't any trouble, my kids aren't going to be a big deal. Then, then there's something there. Like for sure to you, there's something there. Oh yes, exactly. So then police conduct another interview with Diane and her story changes yet again. She now says that there were really not just one shaggy-haired gunman, but two gunmen there. And that they... Whoops. Yeah, right? They confronted her. They called her out by name. By name. They knew her uh, exactly and knew her tattoo that she had. Mm -hmm. And police were like, no fucking way. There's no way. Because how, if she's saying, because her story has always been that she's driving down Old Mohawk Road and there's somebody already there. This car is stopped already. They're in front of her. So if these people know her by name and she always maintained that she picked Old Mohawk Road on a whim, they were never planning to drive down that way. They never drove down that way before. How would they know? How would they know she's going to pick that spot if they're if they're trying to find her, well, but she maybe, never says they followed her. Maybe they were just they just picked random roads every night, hoping, and they just got lucky that night. Maybe that's what happened. Finally matched up. Yeah. I see where she's going with it. That's it. So yeah, she was like talking to them, and she was like so angry at them because they were like, "Listen, Diane, like you, we both know." And she, Do, uh, Detective Welch was like, "Something here stinks," and she was like, "Well, you better go get some deodorant." <laughs> yes, and. <she> <laughs> Then she was like, you know what? I'm sitting here and I've got one man that's got, he's got, he's a stone faced detective and another man that's smoking cigarettes. And I'm going to tell you right now, y'all wouldn't be anybody that I would go get a drink with. I'll just say that right now. They're like, um. Who the fuck cares? Yeah. I don't want to get a drink with you. Big deal. Like if you're trying to seduce us, it's not going to work, bitch. Right? So she, like, they keep on, they're like, listen, just come clean. We know you did it. We know you did it. Tell us what happened. And she's like, no. So she gets super pissed and she like storms out of the interview yeah and she's like because i know who did it bye yeah exactly. like if you know who did it then why on earth would you not tell the police right. that and she's like um i if y'all are expecting me to help you then you can just figure it out all on your own i'm not gonna do it yeah and, because yeah. now they've pissed her off yeah she had this information and now she's not going to give it she's an idiot so then police at this point they're really really wanting to talk to the only witness who could recall what exactly happened and that's christy mm-hmm at first, Christy couldn't talk, right? But yeah. then... She went through months and months and months of therapy. Yes. And then once she could talk, she was really scared to tell her story. Mm-hmm. So she had been working with a therapist for a long time, like Charles said. And she was asked, like, the therapist was working with her, and he was like, listen, we don't, I don't, you don't have to tell me, but here's a piece of paper. Just write down who, who shot you. We'll put it in an envelope. We'll put that envelope in because they had a, a fireplace in the therapy office or whatever. And he was like, we'll just put that in the th- in the fireplace. We'll burn it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nobody likes to know. It's fine. Every, if you ever want me to read it, you can tell me to read it. But if you're not ready, just burn it when you walk out. And she burned it every time for a long time. A long, long time. So then when she was finally ready to talk about it, they opened the letter. And on the paper, she wrote, my mom. Yeah. The question he asked her was, he, he, had, her, he had her write three envelopes. Who mm-hmm. shot Cheryl? Who shot Christy and who shot Danny? And on all three papers was written my mom. My mom. Heartbreaking. It's this it's so oh, it's so terrible. So on February twenty eighth, nineteen eighty four, and this was nine months after she shot her kids, um, she was arrested 
And when she was arrested, she was smiling. She was looking adoringly at the deputies who were escorting her. And it was obvious that, I mean, she loves attention, clearly. She'll do anything she can do to get it. Anything. And she loves, loves, loves the spotlight. So she was very, very visibly pregnant when she was arrested. Which she obviously did on purpose, thinking no jury is going to put me away when I'm pregnant. Like they're that not going to ar- like arrest or keep a pregnant woman in prison. Manipulation and p- planning. Like that's a long con. I mean, I cannot using another person's life. Right. Yeah. That is so messed up. Like yeah. I just cannot believe that she would do something like that. It's just insane to me. No. So then, um, her friend, Heather Plored. Yeah. Testified that morning. Oh. Oh, it's supposed to be after. Oh. But the morning after the shooting. So, yeah. So Heather got on the stand and testified that the morning after the shooting, she went to visit Diane and Diane told her that she was afraid that Christy would blame the shooting on her Mm -hmm. and that Heather was like, why would Christy blame it on you? Because she knew that right now Christy was the only person that could if Christy ever could regain her speech, that she would be the only person that could pin it on her, basically. So if you didn't shoot them, why would she then blame it on you? Exactly. That didn't make any sense. No. They weren't sure if uh, Christy would testify, but Christy mustered the courage. And when she walked into the room, in the courtroom, she and Diane, or she looked at Diane and their eyes met. Oh, my God. And they both started to cry. And when I was reading this in the Anne Rule book, I started crying too. It was just like, it's so sad because you know Christy's walking in there because through all this, like the therapist would ask her, like, do you still love your mom? And she's like, yeah, I still love her. And he's like, do you think your mom would ever shoot you again? And she's like, maybe. I mean, I don't think so. I'm not sure. And she's like, I think that if she did it, or when she did it, she was just really angry and that maybe if we didn't make her angry again, she wouldn't shoot us. Like, it's just The so... possibility was there. It's all hinged on if we can keep mom happy, she probably wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, it's just terrible. And she knows that she's walking in there and she's going to testify against her own mother and she's got to look at her like... And she was only what? Like 10 years old? Right. 11? Yeah. Like, she's so young. I'm so, so awful. Young. So they both started crying, but she got up on the stand and she was able to testify. And she told the jury the exact events of the night that her own mother shot her and her siblings. And when Chrissy was on the stand, you could hear a pin drop. And they said that Diane probably thought that Christy would protect her. And that she said that her mom stopped out, uh, stopped the car, got something out of the trunk, came back and knelt on the front seat and shot Cheryl, Danny, and Christy. Yeah. So when Fred Hughie, who was the prosecutor, he asked Christy if he knew who shot Cheryl, and she said yes, and then she was shop- sobbing, and she said, my mom. And he said, how do you know that, Christy? And she said, I watched. And the defense argued that the ballistics evidence could have been planted and that the testimony, that Christie's testimony was coerced. Yeah. Which is just so fucking ridiculous. Um, yeah. And he, the defense attorney, when he like cross-examined Christie, he was trying to get her to 
to think or to say that it was possible that she was confusing that night with a different night, the basically the May 13th night after the beach, that because it was such a traumatic experience, she was like blocking that night out and replacing it with memories of nobody else being around because they said, you know, did you see any other cars? Was there anybody there except for the members of your family? And she's like, no. So Diane's attorney is like, well, isn't it possible that you could maybe be thinking of this other night that was just a week before? And at that time, the only people that were there was your family. So, you know, your mom didn't shoot you. You're just, you just don't remember seeing the shooter. And she's like, no, I, that's what happened. Yeah. And, and Diane did think that Christy was going to basically protect her. Like, and yeah, because when she was still in the hospital and she'd go visit, she visited Christy a lot and she'd sit and talk to her and cuddle with her and like all this stuff. And then actually at one point while they were in foster care, Diane was not allowed to have the address of where they were being fostered. And finally, Steve got visitation with the kids and then he got unsupervised visitation with the kids and Diane convinced him that she was so sad without them and all this stuff. And so he was like, well, what would it hurt for her to just see them? So he brought them to meet her, which he was not supposed to do. Oh my gosh. And then she said, well, what if, why don't you let me take Christy for a ride? Because I just want to talk to her. And Steve's like, I don't know. And he's like, well, if you promise to have her back, like at a certain time, cause he was supposed to drop him off by a certain time. And she's like, yep, no problem. Well, she's gone for hours and hours and hours and hours, like longer than she's supposed to be gone. He's freaking the fuck out. He's like, I'm going to have to tell them that I let Diane see them. And then he's also worried. He's like, what if she took Christy somewhere and killed her like to finish her off? And I'm like, if that's your thought, then why did you let her alone with the, with Christy? But she finally pulled back into like the hotel where he was staying and then Christy got out of the car and he was like, okay, thank God she's still alive. I'm like, oh my God. So he brings the kids back to the foster family or whatever. He doesn't tell them what happened because if he tells them that he's going to lose any chance of getting custody of them. And then I guess when Diane found out that he had told them about the 22 Ruger that she had, she got pissed. And so she told Nick that Steve had let her visit with the kids because at that point, Nick was working with the prosecution. He was calling her and they were talking on the phone. Well, at first she thought it was because they were going to get back together. He was just trying to get her to confess. And then she figured out that he was using her to bolster the prosecution's case or whatever, or like trying to get her to confess. So she was like, well, if I tell Nick that Steve let me see the kids, he's going to tell the cops. So that's what happened. And so Steve lost all rights to the kids after that because he put them in danger. So, yeah. What was he thinking? Exactly. They ended up bringing in a, like, tape player, I guess. Yes. And they played Hungry Like the Wolf because this whole time, like, Christy was telling the, the therapist that that was playing when this happened. And he would actually play that tape during their sessions as it got later on to try to help and like bring memories back because she was having some trouble. I mean, she had a stroke and it was a huge trauma and he would play that song for her so that it would kind of help bring everything back. So this song hungry, like the wolf is 
a source of intense trauma and sadness for Christy. And it's the night that she got shot and almost died, that her sister was killed, that her brother was almost killed. But for her mother, this song is a great memory. Because Diane, when they start playing that song, she's tapping her foot. She's dancing she's in her smiling. chair, nodding her head. She's snapping her fingers. Like, she's just like, oh my God, I love this song. Like, mm-hmm. ooh, it's my song. Like, that's the song that was playing when you shot your children. What? And, and if you didn't do it, it was the song that was playing when your children were shot and you, you heard it playing. Yeah. How is that not traumatic for you? Exactly. How does that not bring tears to your eyes? But it was just like, ooh, it's my song. I love it. Yes. And her lawyer had to be like, when you're giggling in church and your mom's snapping at you, like, stop it. Quit hey, it. Cut it out. Cut it out. Yeah. Not here. Yeah. I mean, it's it's horrible. I just I do not understand that. Right. And um they also played her interview tapes and the jury got to hear just how flat she was and yes. no emotion whatsoever. So in June 1984, the jury had reached a verdict and the trial lasted about six weeks and the the case had about 50 or 50, 500 pieces of evidence. 50, 100 pieces. 50, yes. <laughs> 11 million pieces of evidence. Yeah. After 36 hours of deliberation, the jury came back and unanimously said guilty. And Downs had shown no emotions about her verdict. And she was past due at that point and everybody was worried about what would happen to the baby because she's like ridiculously pregnant at that point. Mm -hmm. So 10 days after Diane's conviction, Doug Welch went with Diane to the hospital where she delivered her daughter. And after she had her detective Welch went into the delivery room and Diane was holding the baby. She even let detective Welch hold the baby, which was kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, after that, a caseworker arrived and took the baby, and that's the last Diane ever saw of the baby that she named Amy Elizabeth. And just hours after she gave birth, she was back in jail awaiting her sentencing. Diane was diagnosed with three different personality disorders, um, histrionic, narcissistic, and antisocial. And she was a sociopath. She was someone that felt that there are rules in society, but that they don't apply to her. And she was sentenced to life in prison plus 50 years. Mm -hmm. Diane's kids, this is something that's super interesting, and I've never heard about it. And I think Anne Yeager? How do you say her name? Jaeger. Jaeger. looks like Jaeger, though. Um, She was like, I've never heard of anything like this before either. She pretty um, amazing. Yeah. Her kids, so Christy and Danny were adopted by Fred Hughie and his wife, Joanne, the prosecutor. Yeah. Yeah, so they said that, like, the morning that Fred learned about the shooting and he knew that, like, the next homicide, like, it was it was his turn to prosecute the next homicide or whatever. So he went down to the hospital to start talking to people and getting information or whatever. And he said that literally the moment he laid eyes on Christy and Danny, he was like, those are my kids. Wow. He And he was a guy who, like had given his life to his job. They didn't want to have kids. They didn't plan on having kids. They were both workaholics kind of. And he, he was able to completely remove his emotions from any of the cases that he prosecuted. He looked at them completely fact-based and everything like that. Um, but he, he felt for those kids so much and felt like he had to protect them. And he just like literally was like, 
these are my kids now. And he visited Christy and Danny like every day. That's amazing. He saw them all the time. And it helped him with his, with his, like when she testified because she wanted, he wanted her to be really comfortable with him and able to talk to him. But during that time, I mean, it was just like, I mean, they have his name now. They're, mm-hmm. they're Christy and Danny Hughie. That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. So after she was sentenced, she went to prison and no one knew what that, like after out, like, excuse me, no one knew that hours after being born, Amy Elizabeth, the baby was whisked out of the hospital and she met her new parents secretly at a hotel. So she was adopted by a family named the Babcocks. It was Jackie, who was a stay at home mom and Chris, who was a chemist. And they gave their new baby, um, her, her new name, Rebecca, they called her Becky. And they were really insistent on keeping her biological mom a secret. They didn't know who her dad was. Right. But they did not want to, you know, your mom is Diane Downs. And so they wanted her to feel as normal as possible. But Jackie said that, because they did an interview with her a couple years ago, and she was like, uh, we kept an eye out for her, especially as she was growing up when she was a little bitty, to see just feel out if there was any unusual activity with her, like anything going on, but they Mm -hmm. never saw anything. So when Becky was in preschool, Diane escaped from prison. I mean, come on. (sighs) On July 11th, 1987, it was a Saturday morning. She had escaped. She was in the prison yard, an area where they do like physical activity exercise and she had a coat on and she scales the 16 foot wall, throws her coat over the barbed wire and just fucking jumps over it. And nobody saw anything. And she goes and she hides under a parked car. She took her shirt off because while she was going over the fence, she ripped her shirt some. And I guess she probably didn't want anyone to see her in this jail uniform, you know? Right. Um, And she had just done an interview from inside the prison before that and she was wearing that shirt so that would have been like an iconic shirt for her oh yeah but she took her shirt off and then she got a ride from a couple and they recognized her and they dropped her off at an intersection like why not why would they help her exactly like you know what she did why would you help her yeah so they dropped her off at a restaurant and then she walked from there on foot into town they notified, like police notified airports, um, bus depots, trains, anything that they could think of where she would have escaped or like, you know, gone out of state. And they alerted a ton of states in nearby areas. They um, notified Arizona and they had a lot of tips. People were calling it all the time with tips, but no one ever found her. And Jackie was terrified that Diane would come back to get Becky. Sure, yeah. She said that was like the scariest time in her entire life where she was like, I, I had no idea. Because they had to notify, you know, like her school. They were like, look, don't let anybody other than people that we okay or us pick her up. All this stuff. I mean, she said that they never slept. And they said that Fred Hughie slept for as long as she was um, had escaped. He slept upright in a rocking chair with a rifle next to him. Bless him. I know. Good daddy. I know. It's like, you ain't getting my kids, bitch. I know. So then they find out that Diane never left the area that she escaped from. She was like a few houses down (laughs) from where she was dropped off. It's just so crazy. It might work. I know. So she, she showed up on the doorstep of a man named Wayne Cipher or Cipher. 
And she didn't know him, right? No. She asked if she could stay with him, and he was like, why not? <laughs> yeah, um, I don't know you or anything like that, but sure, come on in. Stay but here's why. Um, he said she didn't introduce herself as Diane Downs, but just a girl with no clothes on. She's naked, right? And so she's like, um, can I come in, please? And he's like, fuck yeah, you can. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, Trey? Right. <laughs> so, um. He said that was a good enough introduction for him. And he said he or she he was a warm bed for her. And he was also the husband of a fellow inmate. So while she was in prison, she asked her the inmate that like his wife about where he lived. And they like got a piece of paper and she drew her a map to go. I don't know if the plan was to go stay with. I don't know why they did it, but I would think that the inmate, the wife wouldn't have been like, yeah, go go sleep with my husband for a little bit. Yeah, fine. and also, like, yeah, that just doesn't make any sense. And if he's married no. and he opens the door and there's a naked woman, and he's like, my wife's not here. Come on in. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> did nobody in the 80s believe in the sanctity of marriage? Apparently not. <laughs> I, bet, I bet Fred Hughie did, though. Oh, he did. So the days of living with Diane, according to Wayne, were a nervous wreck for him. He said that his <laughs> only job was keeping her inside of the house and to not do anything to harm anyone else which is why he didn't turn her in. I have no idea. But then he said he should have turned her in, but he didn't. And so police are working around the clock to find her. And at one point, Detective Lauren Glover researches Diane's cell and comes up with a clue that helped them find her. So he has this clipboard with some blank uh, penitentiary. I always get this. I always want to say it wrong. Penitentiary stationary on it and he looks at it in the light and you know when you write down something on a piece of paper and the paper underneath it gets the indentions from what you were writing he saw that so what he you know scribbles with a piece a pencil and figures out what it was and it was an address it looked like it was an address there was like you know there was the map or whatever and then he saw there was an address at the top so they went to the address and sure enough there's diane downs (laughs) So Diane was not in the room with Wayne. There were other men that were living in that house, and she was in bed with another man. Good God. Um, She left the house in Wayne's T-shirt and boxer shorts. Sure. Because she didn't have any clothes. and Yeah. So she it was 10 days that she had been missing. Yeah. I'm surprised she didn't get pregnant. I know. Yeah, that's shocking. She had two parole hearings. Okay, so this is like, you know, now we're we're going to talk about life after she's been in jail for a long, long time. Yep. So she since then, she's had two parole hearings, one in 2008 and one in 2010, because apparently once you're up for parole, you can have another parole hearing in two years. But then there was a new law that came into effect, and she was denied having another parole hearing for 10 years after the 2010 one. And so she's got another one coming up in 2020 and that law went into effect in 2010, but it gives the court the right to deny another parole hearing. So 45 inmates were denied parole, um, in 2010, but only four of them were made to wait the 10 years. And Diane was one of them. Mm. So Diane will be 64 years old or 65 years old, excuse me, for her next parole hearing next year. And 65, I think is still too young for her to get out because I think she's dangerous. Yeah, she's 100% dangerous because she still maintains that she's innocent and yeah. she still says that, you know, it's a conspiracy theory and people are out to get her. And yeah, all this and stuff. that she's going to do it herself, like find the guy who killed her kid. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's insane. Like if she's, if she still has her vision and she can still walk and operate a gun, then she needs to stay in jail. I, I mean, yeah, she could operate anything really. I'm sure she needs to, and I don't say this, I've never said this actually, but she probably needs just a lobotomy. Let's just wipe it clean. Let's just start over. Yeah. I mean, there's just. She's a very, very dangerous person. Mm-hmm. And and like when she was out in 87, the guy was like, I just, you know, was trying to keep her in the house and not hurt anybody else. Like, obviously, she's a danger to society. Yes. She needs to never, ever, ever get out of prison. Exactly. So that's the story of Diane Downs. And there you have it. Thanks again for the suggestion, Emily. Yes, we really appreciate it. It was a very interesting case. Yeah, it was. It was It was really crazy. It. Mm-hmm. it I mean, it's... A super, super sad case, but also, you know, the fact that, because if she had never, not that it's a good thing that happened in any way, shape or form, it's horrible. But I mean, if you are going to look for a silver lining in a case like this, these kids that were still alive after all of this happened and like the one that she got pregnant with in jail, like at least they have had good lives. You know, they were adopted out into good homes. And um, because I know she was definitely abusive. Like she was horrible to those kids. She couldn't stand them. And it's just awful. I hate it. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. And thank you for staying interested in the case. And thank you for being a friend. Yep. We will catch you next time. Bye. Bye. Get in on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram at Killer Queens Podcast and join our Facebook discussion group at Killer Queens Podcast where we discuss cases covered on the show and all things 90s. If you want to submit a case to be covered on the show, visit www.killerqueenspodcast.com slash case submission and complete the form. If we cover the case, we'll even give you a shout out on the show. Lilas! I came from a low-income family that was that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GC became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy, and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose.